Hello everyone, uh, and welcome to Two Crickets and a Thorn Tree. I'm one of your hosts, Nicholas Lorimer, and I'm joined by my other host, who is currently typing and making a big noise for all of our listeners, Gabriel Krause. Hello, hello, I'm not typing anymore, sorry. So I think we need to we need to firstly thank all of our wonderful, glorious, attractive, intelligent, uh, spectacular, generous, benevolent listeners um, for making our last episode the most downloaded episode that uh, we do of the show. Um, it's always good to yeah. know that, that someone out there is listening, uh, that, that there is a reason that we wake up in the morning, which is to stroke our own vanity. No, I mean, it's to fight the battle of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so thanks. So, Not uh, just someone, lots of people. How's yeah. Um, so I've been I've been saying to everyone who who will listen this week that I really thought that the collapse of Western civilization would be less stupid, but uh, you you correctly no. pointed out that this was the incorrect assumption that collapses this, always are stupid. <laughs> this is the nature of collapse. I mean, if I, I, it's weird how how so many people have read Guns, Gems, and Steel, which is not nearly as good a book as Collapse. Uh, by the same author who's what's his name again jared diamond jared diamond uh, yeah. i also i also think that his thesis is a bit uh a little bit wrong uh, uh in guns germs and steel i think he's obviously yeah. made some good points but i think there's also some big Im- omissions yeah whereas in collapse i think he's pretty spot on and i think that and and, and one of the things sort of when he tarts the book that he likes to say is uh in uh, he, he'd been teaching sort of the collapse material as professors often do for many years uh, I, if, if any of our listeners aren't aware of this, uh, this is the nature, this is part of how the American university system works, right? Is that you get good writers and then you, you get parents to pay lots of money for this, their children to be trapped as students <laughs> in this sort of thought laboratories where the writers then throw material at them and see what resonates and what doesn't work and get asked questions for years. And then they produce a book have, and the kids get nothing except have, have seen- the occasional honorary mention. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, have you seen any of those uh, those graphs about prices in the U.S. over the last sort of thirty years? Um, of and, uh, no, just of of of, in, of goods in general. Um, and they they show everything getting cheaper except for two things. One of them is healthcare, mm. and one of them is education, uh, so, particularly universities. Riddle me so, that. But anyway, yeah, they, they, the kids the, the kids sometimes get their money worth money's worth and and that's when their good questions come to light uh in in youtube talks by people like jared diamond and he says in his inimitable kind of uh sort of i, I don't know what that accent is kind of some boston accent and my and my students sometimes ask me uh, what were the last easter islanders thinking when they cut down the very last tree and what were they thinking and, no, dude, they were stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the answer is they weren't thinking much. Uh, speaking of not thinking much, yes, there is a new, uh, 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 as people have been pointing out online, there is a new nation that has joined the family of nations out there. It's, it's called a, it's a, stupid. The, the, no, no, no. What's it? <laughs> the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, or CHAZ for short. Uh, which is not in Washington, D.C., as the name may suggest. It is, in fact, in Seattle, uh, the birthplace of a lot of stupid in America. I don't know. I've got a, I, I, I like Seattle because that's where Fraser was set. 
Fraser is a good show. It's yeah, it's a show that everyone should watch. Um, so what is this? Well, it's a little bit difficult to tell because you know social media news reporting it always filters these things in a strange way. But from what I see, uh, see it looks like uh, some of these protesters um, that we talked about last week have decided to uh, declare themselves a autonomous commune, following the principles of anarcho syndicalism, uh, in. Uh, the middle of Seattle in some blocks that were basically abandoned by the Seattle police. Um, so they've now declared themselves separate from the United States and uh, the New York Times, that uh, not so venerable institution, did a puff piece on them where they talked about them as a, this is a place for racial justice. They called it a homeland yes. for, for, for racial justice. Um, another, another news organization described the atmosphere as festive. Festive, yes. Um, now, the fact that the police have abandoned this, which, by the way, it's important to note, they haven't, they didn't push the police out and declare this free republic, you know, saving themselves from the tyrannical boots of the Seattle Police Department. No, the, they basically, uh, the police withdrew, just abandoning some areas um, for reasons that are not entirely clear. And they've been endorsed by the mayor of Seattle, who said that they're doing a great and wonderful thing. Um, I can't remember the exact thing she said, but she put out a tweet saying uh, this is a wonderful experiment and expression of of people's desire for change. Uh, so <laughs> it's a very strange kind of anarcho syndicalist revolution when the state is endorsing it, so to speak. So here's a grand theory. Uh, when you get to the last stages of stupid in collapse. One of the common threads in all cases across time and space is that people think all changes for the better. Oh yeah, that's that's definitely the case in in our particular version of the the collapse of civilization. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, you're ruining my grand universalist theory, Nick. And and <laughs> by the way, I, I I'm very happy for you to knock it because I haven't thought about that at all. Uh, could could be untrue. <laughs> um. Yeah, so already, you know, we're seeing some of the problems that typically bedevil uh, places without a central authority. So, of course, there are many people who may even be fans of this show who uh, kind of, they think perhaps of, of their perfect world is not quite um, like the one that's been created in Chaz, uh, but something not entirely dissimilar where the state has almost ceased to exist. Um, but, of course, the problem with that mm. is that once there isn't a state... Uh, it's very easy for a new state to pop up, one that's usually much, much worse. Uh, and there are already some stories on social media of basically local dudes with guns sort of wandering around and enforcing their will on people in Chaz. Uh, Wait, some guy got... But there was a warlord already. In Chaz. Yes. There's already been a revolution. There, there was, was one there warlord was, and then he was deposed. Yes, there was already a, a, a dude. Uh, I can't remember his name. It was like Raz something. I can't remember his name. Anyway, he's a SoundCloud rapper. He, um, yeah, he was Raz. He was Raz, the king of Chaz. Yes, and it was meant uh, to be. Some stories came out from Chaz of him wandering around the streets with a group of armed guys, um, and enforcing the law. Uh, there were some videos of him basically beating up people who were doing the incorrect graffiti. I can't remember what the exact crime they were being punished for. It was something to do with graffiti uh, in the area. You weren't and supposed to. No, you're supposed to graffiti. You're supposed to graffiti Seattle and not graffiti yes. Chaz. Yes. Uh, and he was uh, beating. Uh, they, they started sort of pushing these guys around. 
And one of the fearless members of the autonomous commune declared, call the police. To which he replied, we are the police. (laughs) Um, But as quickly as a warlord is enthroned, he can be dethroned um, because uh, while some people saw him as someone who is keeping the revolution alive by uh, enforcing law and order in, in, in the thing in a sort of autonomous, organic outgrowth of, 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 of black power in America, bringing racial justice back to the streets, uh, they dug out his Twitter account, found that he was, in fact, an Airbnb owner. Can uh, you believe it? I he was, no, he was, on, wasn't wait, just an no, owner. He was no, no, a super host. Super host. Let that sink in. This guy was very good at hosting people. And they figured that out and they were like, oh, damn, not one of us. Uh, He also had made some homophobic remarks on Twitter in the past uh, towards people that he did not like. So uh, (laughs) public sentiment, what little public sentiment there was in support of him quickly turned against him. (laughs) And uh, he's he's currently on, on Twitter. It was it was very funny. So Donald Trump tweeted about Chaz saying something like domestic terrorists have taken over the streets of Seattle which I think is a little bit uh, exaggerated. Um, and the, the warlord himself replied with, uh, this is a tantamount to a hit being put out on me by the president of the United States. Now, he wasn't mentioned by name, so it's a little bit funny that he jumps up when the phrase domestic terrorist is uttered to say, no, no, he obviously means me. <laughs> I just want to clarify this, guys. I'm an Airbnb super host. I'm a homophobe. And also I'm a domestic terrorist. Don't kill me. <laughs> I mean, America, dude, this is, this is WWE. This is, this I, actually makes WWE look <laughs> relatively sane, right? The I, performativity, I always, the braggadociousness, the like pettiness. Uh, the, 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 the rapper's name. The is, violence um, is real. I just, sorry, I do want to be clear. The, the major yeah. difference obviously is that, uh, is that these protests have led to people dying and yes. mass destruction of people, protests. People, and, they're, and they're about a very serious issue as well, uh, state brutality. So the, you know, the, the underlying bedrock context is, is, is completely different. But the, but the superstructure is very much a joke. <laughs> um, so the name of this guy, this, this alleged warlord, is Raz Simone. Uh, you can check him out on Twitter, actually. Um, he's been tweeting about all these things. Uh, he's also, uh, despite the fact that he's kind of involved in the in the in Chaz and the Capitol Hill autonomous zone, all that that stuff. He's uh, he's declared himself a citizen of America. So you know, <laughs> it's it's going well. In other words, um, people have also made fun of the fact that uh, parts of it seem to run out of food because they invited homeless people in to to share in the bonds of working class solidarity and brotherhood and uh apparently some of the food got stolen by the the homeless guys they invited in so they were asking for for donations of vegan food to the commune um they were also trying to grow vegetables but not very well so i i suspect that this brave new experiment in this bold new nation will probably not last the month um maybe well, they did last chase the, the police chief away and i saw her statement and she was you know i thought the police chief statement was interesting because she She's a black American woman. Can't remember her name. Uh, but but her the statement of hers that I saw, 
she said, you know, we we've been we've been holding up because because Chaz is kind of a lot of it's on police property. Yeah, uh, a lot it's, of it is in an abandoned police station, I believe. Yeah. And so she was saying we were trying to hold this station and we were holding it and it was fine. And it was, un, you know, unpopular. You know, we're getting a lot of blowback, but we were like, this is our duty and we've got to do it. And. You know, it's our job to keep the peace. And, like, you're barking up the wrong tree by coming after us. And then she said, after all that, for the mayor or for the instructions from above to come back and tell us to retreat, kind of strongly sends the message to all us police that, that we're fools or, you know, that we're not valued or something. Uh, so well, And she, she, put it in a, she put it in a kind of mealy-mouthed way, which... Is fine. It's a style, but I thought yeah. the message was actually quite strong. That that this is that this is a that this is a, a question of sort of city leadership, um, for sure. And the mayor and the mayor's, oh, I don't know, the mayor's uh, idea of how to get likes, how to get positive regard to secure her own status. Uh, I, uh, it's troubling. It's it's very troubling. Anyway. Yeah, so we're we're living through something that's very strange in the sense that it's like it's like a fake revolution. It's like a play play revolution. Play play is um, exactly it. But so here's what I think is kind of here's what I find delightful about it. Uh, in our last podcast, I was feeling pretty grim, uh, and subsequently, I don't know. I've I've got I'm I, I'm starting to see a scenario in which things play out really well. In America, really for the better. Tell us more. I'm I'm desperate for this. <laughs> so so one of the things to note is that so so th so at the background of all political thinking, uh, at some level, uh, is going to be the question of you know of authority. What would what is the state of nature like? What is what is it like to be a human being hanging out with other human beings? When there is no state, when we're not in, when when we're not in a nation state or any artificial state, but rather in the state of nature, and there are, I mean, I suppose there are different ideas, but the two archetypes are the Rousseauian and the Hobbesian. Now, the Rousseauian state of nature has it that you know it's like a Gauguin painting. This, in fact, this was you know this is why Gauguin and so many other romantics. Went out. Gauguin's paintings. He goes to he goes to the sort of Pacific Islands and he paints beautiful women uh, with their breasts out and they're very perky and uh, and and they look very mellow and like at one with nature and often they're smoking and we know from the record that it's marijuana and so it's you know it's Africa burn. It's like it's like lots of uh, naked or semi naked people smoking weed, having a drink. And, yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's allegedly the the uh, the true self liberated from the shackles of humanity. Uh, finally, um, I mean Rousseau, what is it? He's famous for saying, um, "Man is uh, born every, free." Exactly, man is born free, but is everywhere in chains. So this is what the free man looks like, who is unchained, is yeah. sort of a, a kind of natural animal that just lives in perfect harmony. And dude, we mustn't we mustn't um, look. If you look at the history of the internet. When the internet first became hip, God, all the Rousseauvians were like, you see, I mean, they didn't necessarily apply that label to themselves, 
but they were Soviets. They said, you see, we've got this internet. It's a super state thing. There's no rules. There's no governments. There's no police. And it's awesome. All that happens on the internet is useful and fabulous. And there's like very commercial, very little commercial stuff. It's mostly like, I don't know, MySpace and chat rooms. And well, you still see that there's, for example, something called the free software movement, which uh, believes basically that all software should be completely devoid of any proprietary uh, copyright stuff and just yeah. be free for use by everyone else. Yeah. So, so, so the Russovians, and, and for sure, I should add to this, I think that there are, just like, I think we did a podcast once where we, 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 we dedicated half an hour to talking about when communism makes sense. Communism really makes sense in the family. The Marxist ideal of like from everyone according to their ability and to everyone according to their need. That's a really good way for a family to organize. I felt it during lockdown staying at the farm. It's like if there's a tall, if there's an object on the top shelf, I'm the tallest guy. So you ask me to do it, right? Because it's according to my ability. Uh, the little kids need much less food. So they get much less food. Kind of sounds Cruel, but whatever, man. They don't need as much food as the grown-ups need, so they get less food. Uh, and and likewise, there are there are always going to be contexts in which the Russovian play play uh, really works. And Africa Burn is one of them. I love Africa Burn because people kind of leave their baggage at the door as far as possible and 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 try and perform this this romantic idyll. And and I think it's really joyful. But the <laughs> but. There's this other idea. But there's a big uh, but. Yes, there's this really big but, which is that if you if you give people a little bit of time, then there will be disputes. It's the nature of of Especially, I suppose this is just my hypothesis. It's the nature of human beings that yeah. human beings plus time equals disputes. And then it's, you need a form of dispute resolution. I think there's another important uh, mechanism at play here, which is um this oft talked about Dunbar's number. Uh, which is that basically once, you know, human beings evolved to live in groups of like 120 maximum. And once you go above that, your brain just really isn't able to form proper yeah. co uh, connections with human beings on an individual level. You start to sort of abstract them out. Uh, and the moment any society gets above that size, it starts to get a bit weird. It starts to get tribal. It starts to get a bit factional. more yeah. factional, brutal. Uh, and that's where Hobbes's view comes in which is the state of nature, war of man against man. It's just savage, animalistic competition for resources, no morality. Everyone is just screwing each other over, total violence. Um, and for what it's worth, the, uh, the archaeological record demonstrates that <laughs> <laughs> before civilization, this was in fact probably closer to what we were living are in. You, are you doing that thing again where you bring in, bring in some facts? Yeah. Ah. Nick. Yeah, no, it's very uh, annoying. Uh, uh, yeah, I no, think the state I think of nature the, is nasty, man. Jesus. I think sixteen before civilization, basically sixteen percent of all human beings were killed by another human being. It was the second highest cause of death, after yeah. you know, basically disease. Yeah, and and then the other option is you could always be sort of killed by another animal, which, by the way, is the way it's way the animal kingdom works. Right? There's like like lions don't retire in the wild. <laughs> no no <laughs> the the dude lion gets killed by another dude lion coming in that's how it works or, gorillas or don't fall out and they starve to death chimpanzees dude that almost never happens chimpanzees in the wild the male the alpha chimp does not retire he gets taken out it, hyenas 
the alpha bitch does not retire. She gets taken out. If you if you if you gain a position of power, you do it through direct application of force, and you eventually get old enough that someone directly applies force to you to, and then you die. There's like the 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 the, the and also by the way. When you get to the monkeys, it's even crazier because when you get a new, often uh, troop of of men or a new alpha, the, the 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 first thing to to go after the alpha, the other alpha, the previous alpha has been killed, are the kids because it's 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 time they for orgy. Genes. Yeah, yeah. So it's like Africa Burn. It's like Africa Burn, just except yeah, not as many people go home. At the end, that's an <laughs> Africa bird. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, just a and, lot more rapey and murderous. Yeah, and so that's that's kind of it. It, it, it so so going back into the sort of prehistory thing. Uh, much has been written about the origin of the state, um, and it looks like kind of what happened is when people started to farm and make slightly more permanent settlements, um, it became more profitable for bandits. You know, groups of people who specialized in stealing stuff from others violence. and violence um it became more profitable for them to capture some other larger group of people who were less adept at violence and say okay you will make stuff for us and in return uh we will defend you from other bandits and thus the state was born it wasn't uh <laughs> it wasn't exactly consensual um, but as it's turned out from the fact that we have, you know, uh, video games, McDonald's and uh, the movies now, which is yeah. you know, the things that I live by, <laughs> it turned out to no, be a pretty good deal in the long run. Yeah, no, it worked out. Um, and, and, and so this is super relevant to Chaz, right? So one way that you can see that Chaz is acting like a state is that it's got borders, it's got border control, it's got its own armed militia. And another way that you can see it's like a state is that it extracts taxes. It goes around to everyone inside, but it, especially anyone who's got some money or uh, looks like they might have some money and says, uh, you know, we'd like you to pay for, you know, our food program so that everyone can eat for free. And that's the, the law against that is called extortion. And, and the extortion law basically says, only look the government's allowed to do this policemen are allowed to go out with their guns after the tax revenue service has 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 asked you to pay money and you haven't and then the police can go and detain you and put you in jail uh but no one else is allowed to do that it's and so that's why weber says the state is the monopoly on legitimate force um and so what i think is delightful about this uh this this moment is twofold one is that this is one of the deeper ideas that there is in politics. And so it can do a lot of work kind of living in the background, uh, kind of in, informing people's preferences and people's ideals and, and often the, the romantic attraction. We've talked about epistemic magnetism before, like the, 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 the romantic state of nature, the Rousseauian state of nature ideal, that, that Africa burn thing, it is so attractive that if people haven't, explicitly sort of found a way in their life whether it's christmas or festivus or or burning man or or the video game orgy party if they haven't found a way in their lives to sort of get to that dynasty like. I, I don't play the video games um 
if you don't if you don't have that if you haven't figured out how to get to that Dionysiac place, then it can exercise a magnetic pull on your thoughts. Like it can it can work as as a target that 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 uh, directs your 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 political ambitions, your amb- ambitions for what you wish society could become like. Uh, naively, so you don't. And so instead of thinking, instead of seeing the problems with it, instead of seeing how unsustainable it is, how it's like a champagne bubble, the kind of thing that's great to have, but it can only really last a moment. Um, and so it needs to be sort of neatly defined by a beginning and end point in a in a theatrical, voluntary, entered space. Uh, uh, it it can do a lot of work uh, on you and through you. And I think it has been doing a lot of work. And I remember seeing when I was in America 10 years ago you know, studying, this is totally like political conversations. I was lucky because I was, was with smart kids. And so you could unpick their their rationale uh, relatively easily. But more, more than easily, they were really committed to their own idea of themselves as being geniuses. So they were prepared to talk often until four o'clock in the morning over drinks you know, at a party, it was like a, you know, that, that often there'd be people on the dance floor doing their thing. And then there'd be people on the balcony or just next to the dance floor kind of debating political theory until four in the morning. And so I often had the experience of like by three in the morning, people being, you know, getting people to the point where they're like, okay, yeah, I do see that the difference between my view and yours is that on my view, um, if you just left us to our own devices, if there were no rules, no police, no courts, no states, then it would be like this very party we have here, which is illegal in any event because we're all drinking and we're under 21 and we're all smoking weed and that's against the rules. And, you know, we're all just, you know, this is like the internet. We're all just kind of living by our own preferences and by the economy of esteem, by kind of, you know, what what we think would be cool or uncool to do. Uh and so um, that for that idea to become public, so it's it's, it's like the three a.m. idea is what I'm trying to say. It's like the deeply buried, toxic three a.m. idea. But when you bring it to light, then people see it, and people see that it's crazy, and they're like, "Oh, we see the appeal. You're looking for Burning Man, but you've 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 misplaced it. You you've you, you what what you're looking for really is a holiday, and 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 what you've gone and done." is made it a permanent reality or try to make it a permanent reality. And now we see the mistake. And suddenly when you bring that epistemic magnet up out into the surface, it's like it's polarity inverts. It actually becomes repulsive. And I have been seeing this from the American left. Uh, Minneapolis city councilors did vote to abolish the police there, which is completely uh, destructive well, it, and counterproductive. They said, but they in, said DC, in a year from now... So yeah, there, there is a little bit of wiggle room for themselves there. They've bought themselves some, but but like DC, DC's mayor, um, she painted Black Lives Matter in fifteen, uh, you know, in in the, across two three blocks in the capital, and then the guy said, no, this is just performative. What we really want to do is defund the police or disband the police. And she said, <laughs> we're not going to disband the police, and we're not going to defund the police. We've got a budget for the police, and we're going to keep to that budget, right? So she pushed back on them. And uh, uh, it's sort of I don't, you, you, maybe you want to talk about the Kamala Harris thing, but like I'm seeing some pushback on the crazy. It's like I'm seeing the 3 a.m. epistemic magnet of Bacchanal, Dionysiac, Africa Burn Party uh, that's been exercising the Democrats' minds uh, 
I claim, for a decade in this sort of subterranean way, having been brought out into the air, and then it suddenly becomes indefensible by anyone except the most crazy loons. And so it gives this sort of relative centrist in the party a chance to foil themselves against the craziness and say, look, we're not that. And that Which gives Biden me has already done. Um, he's actually exactly. come out and said, we're not going to defund the police, which, you know, kind of you know, Trump was going to really hoping that he was going to just be able to say, uh, look, B uh, Biden is soft on these protesters and he wants to defund the police. And now you need to elect me because of the law and order thing. What's interesting, um, this is something I've read online as well about uh, there have been some focus groups recently about Donald Trump voters and like basically nothing he does turns them off except for one thing. Yeah, which is how he's talked about race and police and law and order during this pandemic uh, or during these protests, rather. Um, and apparently, even pretty hardcore Trump supporters cringe when they see some of his tweets and stuff, which is really interesting. Um, I think it's also quite funny because it means that all these people have been writing about how, you know, 40% of America is hardcore racist. <laughs> it's... It's made their lives a little bit, it's made their nice little neat narratives a little bit more complicated. Yep. Um, okay, but so this, lead, this leads me to the other side of my hopeful scenario. So I think Trump's got this weird problem where, like, a friend of mine was, was, uh, was looking at interviews that he did in the 70s. He sent me a couple from the 80s and the 90s. From, sorry, from the 80s and 90s, maybe in the 70s. And he was he was really articulate. He could speak in in long sentences with subclauses and gerunds and uh, and 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 use pretty flashy big words and uh, kind of nest ideas within larger ideas. Sort of knew how to construct a paragraph so that you've got an opening claim and then a few examples, then a uh, uh, logical conjunct and then a conclusion. And Fortunately, that has changed, and I think maybe you could blame it on aging. I don't really know that it's that. I think that it's his bet that he made I, uh, circa 2015 that he could theory. surprise the world um, by, by – by, I don't know that he thought he could definitely win, but that he could surprise the world by really doing very well if he just bet that a lot of America hates CNN – and the New York Times much more than <laughs> uh, is public available knowledge, right? So it's a little bit like, you know, when McDonald's goes big, it's, it's you know, someone's making a bet that Americans are much more keen on getting drive-through drive, drive -through food uh, than anyone else is aware of. And you, and you say it, or KFC, you say people really want uh, deep fried chicken, and you go to 100 stores and they say, no, that's crazy, no, that's crazy, no, that's crazy. Then you finally find someone to back you and then you do it and it proves out to be true. I think that was kind of his big bet and it proved to be true. But unfortunately, in going after those guys, he's figured out what gets under their skin. And what gets under their skin are very short, very punchy statements that are riddled with ambiguities. Uh, and so <laughs> he always leaves open the option to his critics to choose the least charitable interpretation and, and then hammer him and run with that. And and then people are like, you guys are not adding information. You just sort of like give a little sound bite and then and then go off. You don't look at the facts. Uh, and, and, and crucially, uh, he also leaves the avenue open for, for people to uh, come up with a reasonable defense of what he said. Yeah. Exactly.
So, but I think with this, what's, I, I want to hear your theory on his bit, but I just want to finish this idea. I think with this, the, the case that needs to be made, here's, here's the case that needs to be made by all centrists in America, I believe. America had a terrible past uh, uh, where state violence was used to, uh, amongst other things, coercively force black people into subjugation. Uh, and slowly but surely, uh, there have been sort of reforms that you can identify. You can identify the Civil War. You can identify the abolition of slavery. You can identify the uh, allowance of... Uh, you can identify the extension of the franchise. You can identify laws that allowed all citizens to run for office. You can then identify the rewind in Woodrow Wilson's sort of peelback of uh, who was allowed to be in the administration. And then in the civil rights movement, you can identify... Uh, uh, laws that were passed to prevent uh, uh, basically racial discrimination at the polls, to prevent separate yeah. immunities based on race and so on. So you can identify the ways that they've been peeled back. And then if you get granular and you go city by city and county by county and state by state, you can identify for every police department the history of violence, uh, arbitrary abuse, sort of, and then the, and then the marked steps towards reform. And the, the net effect of that has been uh, extremely positive. And the net effect of that in the, in the last decade, in our lifetime, but in particular in the last decade, has been extremely positive. If you look at the numbers of black dudes who've been killed by the police, uh, just in the last three years, like under Trump, they have gone way, markedly way down. down. Yeah. And that's not Trump's doing because he's not in charge of those police departments. Yeah. Uh, part of it has got to be an Obama effect. I think part of it's also got to be a Trump effect. Um, and, and what those effects might be, I well, think well, hold on, in the hold case on, hold on. of, okay, we're I getting, think, I'm getting ahead of myself. You come yeah, in. I think, I think, I think some of it is, uh, is definitely the fact that despite the fact that, you know, everyone talks about America, like it's some sort of fascist state that needs to be wrestled from control of the opposition to allow freedom to bloom. Both sides talk like this oh, favorite, on a local level, yeah. on a local level, there is actual real democratic politics that goes on all the time. And on state and city levels, people are changing and reforming the laws all the time. There's, for example, there's been a silent revolution where a libertarian sort of fringe movement, which is to repeal occupational licensing. So that's like the license to become a barber or the license to become a florist mm. is being peeled back state by state slowly by well, uh, well considered arguments and small time focused nonpartisan activism. And I think the same has happened in a lot of places. Uh, you know, what hasn't been mentioned in all of this is how many states have passed laws in the US about restricting police uh, actions and violence and what they can do and, you know, disciplining cops. Yeah. So regardless of who the president is on, a, on the ground, a lot of people have actually put their minds to this and are making new laws. Now, who knows whether all of those laws are good or bad, but people are actually making a change. And it was happening yep. sort of underneath everyone's noses. But we yep. just we just forgot about it. Uh, let, so, let me, so, so, yeah, yeah finish, finish I, think that's, I think that's right. Go on. Um, so I was going to say about Trump, you, you talk about him like he's, you know, I, you know I'm more skeptical of, of the grand strategic version of the story. I think in a lot of ways he kind of, uh, he started playing a caricature. He's very, very good at knowing what an audience wants. Uh, he identified a certain part of the right in America and what what they wanted from their cheerleader. 
and then he started playing a character, right? Which was an exaggerated version of himself that was maybe a little bit, you know, fudgier on the on the race stuff. Uh, that was anti-abortion, which is of something that he in his personal life has never actually been. Yeah. <laughs> um, and was far more patriotic. You know, he moved away from the um, the more conspiratorial America is just the same as everyone else with bad guys stuff that he used to say. And uh, this new version of himself, he's played it now so hard for so long that he can't stop because he's become the caricature. Uh, yeah. I think I think Trump Trump has 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 done this a couple of times in his life, but I think this is really it. He's he is a caricature of himself, and sometimes he recognizes it, which are often his best moments when he makes a sort of side comment about. So m- my favorite example of this was was when North Korea, you know, they had those negotiations with North Korea, yeah, and he said, "We signed a deal. It's great. Uh, I I hope he'll stick to it. You know, maybe he'll stick to it. I think he'll stick to it. And if he doesn't, I'll just say he did anyway." and sort of no one quite picked up on this even his critics who you know it's the kind of thing they would normally jump all over but that was him sort of admitting that he is the caricature (laughs) you know he's the guy who ran the apprentice where he kept saying you know you've got to if 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 you had a bad day you've got to figure out how to tell me it is a good day exactly exactly and that's what he's doing again and again um, so, so I don't think our theories are so different. Um, I'm, I, I, so I suppose I think my theory is like your theory, just with the addition that uh, that like every great caricature, for, for it to really work, it needs a foil. It needs like another caricature that it's playing opposite, and that caricature you can call CNN and the New York yeah, Times. Yeah, that's it's, that's the, the, the fake news media, as as Trump has very aptly yeah. dubbed it. Um, but so he. So, 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 I think that the argument that needs to be made is that exact argument that you made that a lot of law enforcement in America is devolved, that that's part of the reason it was such a tricky thing to resolve and reform. Uh, yeah, but that it's like king from on high, yeah, but that the process has come to an ex to the process has come to such a point. That um, that the kinds of peaceful protests that they've been should be entirely welcomed, uh, because the last thing you want to do is give up just before the end. But that these protests should be sort of entirely prepared. Everyone who's on the streets now should be the message. Should be entirely prepared in ten years' time to 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 grab everyone that they know and come out on the streets again and celebrate. The, the 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 sort of hard evidence that America's criminal justice system is not racist. Now, let me just always remind viewers, like listeners, for 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 that came to be right, you know, society's not enforcing racial norms or or is not manifesting bias. That's not to say that there is zero incidence of of racially motivated. Uh, skullduggery or murder or whatever there in any society there'll always be murder you know so you don't you don't say of japan or sweden that uh these are not peaceful societies because there are sweden's got a little bit less peace these days than it did in the 70s yeah you don't say but still even in the 70s you had a couple of murders now and then uh you know you had plenty of murders every year but it's just like relative to again this is a hobbesian point like 
it's the 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 wickedness is in us human beings. If you want a society in which nothing bad happens, then the the only thing to do is just have no people there. Uh, but you say that a society is a very safe society. You say that a city is a very safe city when the level has come down so low that uh, that we appreciate that you know uh, all that's left is this sort of individual uh, madness that is latent in humanity. Uh, but there's a very good system for checking against that as good a system as can be reasonably expected. And I think that America, I don't know, I look at the data, you know, that has been a thing for the last three weeks, a lot of sort of left, right, bringing up the data. And I look at the data and there's just, there's just, I can't find anything but the conclusion that uh, there has that that America is, in terms of the race issue in policing, totally on the right track, and very nearly sure. there. And part of the thing, and part of the madness of the George Floyd case is that. So, is that and and so sorry. So this message is hard to say because it precisely to say that the devolved systems. And that and that and that the place to go looking for you know there's bad apples as in bad police and then there's bad apples as in bad city councils bad city you know bad bad local level stuff and we should try and identify those and uh, uh, and 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 stop thinking of this as a national problem because clearly so much of the nation I mean you look at the data part of what happens in the data is American national politics is just broken right now uh, that's why yeah. I think this this kind of thing happens like. The local level life is not bad. Here's here's a good example. Yeah. Uh, they asked people. There was a survey, and they said, "Do you have a positive or negative view of your local police precinct?" Seventy percent said positive. Now, the of the negative thirty percent, some of those are people who say that they are not policing people harshly enough. But when you ask yeah. people is the country's criminal justice system and the police overall across the country, uh, you know, free of problems and providing good service and all that kind of stuff. Suddenly the numbers get very weird. And so once again, you so, see this, this thing. Yeah. So there's this category era thing where Americans think as soon as they stop thinking locally, they think that the police are run from Washington. Yeah, and, and, and an, that it's and that if if there's if there's racism in some police department, then there's racism across the police. If there's inefficiency or corruption in one police department, there's efficiency all the way across the world. And the thing is that neither the, neither Trump nor the New York Times is interested in debunking that because both Trump and the New York Times are committed to the idea that everything is is Trump's fault. You 100%. know where. Either because he's the best and it's his fault in the sense that he he's he's made it the best, or it's done, his fault yeah. in the sense that he's made it the worst. So America can't remember what it is and how its police system works, and <laughs> and that seems to be getting in the way of saying, guys, it has been working. You can go state by state, council by council, and dude, I was looking at um at data tracking back like over the last hundred years, and you can just see it's like. Some places, you know, a change happens in the 60s. Some places a change happens in the 80s. Some places change happens in the 90s. So it's it's like different places become safe to be black at different times, right? Yeah. But there are definitely most places are as as far as the data show are 
are in are, are safe uh, are safe places to be in America, and you and you can feel that if you walk around with black people or white people, um, and 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 even if you look at the testimonies of 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 sort of famous black Americans who say that they've been subjected to to racism, like if, if you look at what Obama said about that, his 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 testimony was very much that, you know, in a lot of America, in all of Hawaii. Uh, he 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 was he was safe as houses, but that there were parts of Chicago and parts of Baltimore where if he walked around, even if he was in a suit, he he would get dirty looks from yeah. civilians. Uh, not yeah. much in the way of sort of police brutality, which is you know. But you you would think where the civilians are still kind of doing that, the police are going to do it more. Yeah. But America is like full of, you know, people keeps. Oh God, I mean, you you said it like. Here's what people keep saying, like, Trump got a minority portion of the vote. So you can assume a majority kind of hate Trump because they think he's already too racist. Uh, and then even within Trump supporters, uh, I think you were saying that the data shows his his comments about this have been some of his least popular comments ever. So, yeah, he's, you know, it's, it's if 80% of America is anti-racist, if 80% of America would shame their own children if they came back and said something nasty <laughs> about a black person and their police are locally being run, then on that basis, you would expect sort of looking at it through the esteem lens that 80% of the police at least are, 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 are non-discriminatory. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the data on, on, on black representation within the police. Then you look at the data on portions of encounters across races versus portions of encounters that become forceful or, de or where there's deadly violence. You look at uh, the, 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 the rates of, even look at the rates of incarceration, like how, how that has changed over the last, since, since Bill Clinton was president. It's like America, well, America's system has, has progressed a hell of a lot. And that's, it's, and it's not. I'm not trying to make the story of like you know we just remember how far we've come. Don't just. I'm trying to say look at how it happened. How it happened is a local, is a local issue. It's a it's a it's a chunk by chunk issue. And where there's still a problem, it's that chunk that you have to resolve. It's it's, yeah. it's kind of retarded to look to Washington to resolve it. It's that if if there were racist police under Obama and there were racist police under Trump, they're going to be racist police under Biden. It doesn't. It really doesn't matter. Who the president is, as you say, the the factors that I wanted to say were were precisely to draw out well, how, as, how as marginal it, they are. As it turns out, federalism works. <laughs> yeah, and America is forgetting that it's a federal country. It's crazy. It's oh been forgetting God. that for a hundred years to be. But famous. if they remember that, dude, and 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 how easy is it? I mean, come on, they both sides, both sides. All they really care about right now, the 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 people with the microphones, is the election, and the Democrats' hope is that this is going to create enough anger at Trump and enough resentment against him that they get to whip the vote, particularly in swing states, and knock him out. And then they get to do what they want to do. And tr the Trump guys are sort of, I think, a little bit keen on trying to counterpose themselves or, or, as the law and order party yeah. and, 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 and the disorder sort of makes them look better. Exactly. And, so, and, I mean and who knows what strategy is going to work on that. But my thought is like, okay, maybe America is completely ruined because it's an election year. But next year... Don't you think suddenly all the high IQ kind of pundits that the New York Times and CNN and Fox News have been hiding are going to come to the fore and say, look, guys, this is not a national issue. This is a state by state and county by county and city by city issue. And here are the data on the on the cities and councils and states that are doing really well. 
here are the data on like the five <laughs> that are doing really poorly and let's think about how to resolve that and and, and yeah and leave it and leave it to the people in local news I think not, Gabriel. <laughs> Nick, come on, man. It's I'm I'm got hope here. It's a Friday afternoon. I, I'm about to pour myself a whiskey. Give me one damn thing that America can look I, in the mirror when the when uh, when the election. Well, look, over. I look. I think I think I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna. I, I think I think we should close on this now because there's some other stuff I want to quickly mention. Yeah. Um, but I want to I want to say that. Uh, I think that the U.S. and it is an important country for the world because it affects us all. It's actually a, an incredibly resilient society, and it's been through much worse than this. Within living memory, 1968, for example, was a much worse time than now. Yeah. Um, and it will probably bounce back. I don't exactly know the mechanism of that. It may be what you've been describing here. Um, it may be something else that we didn't predict. And uh, you know, I think I think just because everything seems to be going mad now, that usually is because things are about to turn uh if you if you feel like the whole world's gone mad it often means you know that things are about to go in the other direction because nothing stays going in one direction forever um but i do want to bring up an important piece of information that has just been sent to us by um, uh, our colleague uh, terence corrigan yeah he sent me a daily sun headline tokolosh <laughs> tests positive for covid 19. a tokolosh got covid Yes, but it, what's even better is, is that there was a bit of a typo in the in the in the headline, and so it says Corvid nineteen. Oh my god! <laughs> well, that is breaking news coming to you on two crickets in a thorn tree live, <laughs> delayed live. I mean, can, can, it's going to when you hear this, it's going to be live, and I'm betting that none of our listeners will have heard it. But I mean, can, between can we just take now a us actually hearing it and then. <laughs> to talk about how the Daily Sun is a fantastic South African institution. Um, so I, I had the, 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 the great pleasure of being able to intern at the Daily Sun for about a month in, uh, in April of when was it, 2013, somewhere around there. And my word, it's a wonderful place. So for those of you who don't know, the Daily Sun is one of South Africa's most read newspapers. Its target market is it's very more it's is, even is, more read than the than the Daily Friend. Yes, but the Daily yes. Friend and the Daily Sun kind of together. That is <laughs> that's like coffee and cigarettes. It's just perfect. Uh, it was born out of a a uh, an Afrikaans guy. I can't remember his name, but he was uh, I think it was Dion. I think um, he was this big guy, and he said, "Look, there's no no publication right now. This is what twenty years ago, something like that. There's no publication in the market right now for poor." Uh, black South Africans, no no newspaper that's targeted directly at them that just covers the stuff that people are actually talking about. In other words, there's no real tabloid magazine for poor South Africans. Yeah. And the first place he went to, they laughed him out of the room. They were like, ah, this, this is rubbish. You can't sell this to people. Those people don't have any money. There's no point in investing in this market. You're an old Afrikaans guy. What do you know about this? He then went to Media24. And he got it set up and it became a huge success. And how it works is it's really simple. It just reports things that people say. And it tries to provide a sort of minor public service announcement in that it often tries to bring in some kind of uh, authority or, or educational aspect to some of its stuff. But, for example, if people say there is a demon like a tokolosh running around a neighborhood or a witch or something, they will go and report it. They won't say... Uh, there is a demon 
<laughs> if you actually yeah. read the stories, they'll just say yeah. this yeah. person in this township said, said, said this, or in this village said this. Yeah, and it is it is it is not. You know, a lot of a lot of media and 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 stuff in in South Africa kind of condescends to people. The Daily Sun does not. It just says this is what people are saying. This is what people care about, and most people yeah. don't believe the Daily Sun. But it's fun to read about. It is a wonderful, exciting publication. Um, so unfortunately, it's going out of print in a lot of places. Not because it's unsuccessful, but just because print in general is dying. I think it's mostly online now. But you can read Daily Sun stories and it lifts your heart because it's just wacky, wild stuff that's happening in South Africa. Uh, you know, there's a guy, I, the Daily Sun stories I've seen, for example, are a guy who wanted to be a pilot, but, you know, he was poor, unemployed, lived in a shack. So what did he do? He built a plane out of shack parts in like the, no, the piece of land he was squatting on. It's it's such it's yeah. got so many great human stories like that, and I think it's a it's a wonderful thing <laughs> that we have <laughs> that's looked down on by uh, so many of the great and good. I mean, you know, it's kind of thought of as embarrassing, I think, by some in the media. By a lot, no, but it's no, it's a delight, and it's a kind of it gives you a finger on the pulse, and also the strong sense that sort of irony is is if not a universally shared human sort of uh, angle of approach, something that is almost universal. And some and some people who don't have any irony end up being uh, very interesting to to those who do, right? I I I've discussed the Daily Sun with South Africans from from what one might call various uh, ranks on the living standard measurement. <laughs> and I ge I generally find sort of more irony in in how to think about it and how to enjoy it as one goes down the ranks rather than less. Uh, yes. A kind of playfulness, a kind of like you know this is this is interesting. This is fun. This is like this is like wrestling. Um, yes. Yes. Attitude. That's a delight. But COVID. I mean COVID. Oh God, COVID. It, gonna, it, looks, well, it looks like it's taken off a bit now, hey? I mean, yeah. One thing to connect. So, so I've been uh, writing. This has sort of been my first week where I haven't since what feels well, like forever, where I haven't worked on COVID. Uh, but and part of the reason is that I've been pushing this theory that I think human voluntary actions make a big difference to the rate of the effective rate of reproduction of, of the virus. Spread, yeah. And we've got these. Uh, widespread natural experiments uh, in America uh, in the form of protests that I think are going to be very interesting to follow. There's this really weird thing where the WHO came out and said, well, a, a WHO official came out and said uh, something which sounded a lot like there is no asymptomatic spread, which uh, went which, against... Which, the which is something that then kind of backpedaled on, sort of. It was very... Yeah unclear exactly what they were trying to say yeah so uh, but i mean the, the 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 epidemiology is very strong there's very high confidence that uh, sort of let's give it a wide berth between 20 and 50 percent of spread of viral spread is by asymptomatics standardly yeah um yeah. so so but we'll see we'll see what the we'll see what these do to the numbers and i think there'll be lessons to learn for other countries for sure, it's um, definitely worrying. The prospect so, is worrying. So, so you got into you got into a bit of a debate recently about uh, uh, is is 
have we flattened the curve? Is COVID, you know, going to get worse? All that kind of stuff. Um, have you been proved right by the way the disease course is going now, or is it still too early to tell? No, I from 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 when I started sort of putting down graphs uh, with trend lines uh, in kind of late April, early May, the they have never deviated. We are just we we have got this persistent exponential growth uh, in case numbers in deaths and the and and I think that you know people kind of look at the absolute values and they're like but hold on you know far few people have died here than in Spain so mm. we must have done something right and I and and they just don't consider what the travel rates are between Wuhan and Italy and Spain and the UK and what the travel rates are sort of between Europe and America and what the travel rates of the whole world is to South Africa. You know, the, yeah. the traffic that we get in a month is like the traffic that Heathrow gets in a day. Yeah, yeah. It's a very slight exaggeration. If you take all of the London airports together, I think it, I think you really come out with something like a month to a day. Uh we basically got one terminal at our Tambo and half a terminal at uh, uh, Lanseria that does very few international flights. You've got like, anyway, never mind. You, one terminal in Cape Town, one terminal at UKZN, and they do very few flights as well. Whereas, you know, you've got, what is it, like several terminals at Heathrow and two other international airports just in London. So, uh, so if you start with a very viral, very low viral load in your own body, it'll take longer for the virus to get up to killing you and if you start with a very low viral load in the country it'll take a long time yeah for it to yeah. get up to you, the point of killing you so um, i so 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 i don't think we i don't think we're doing well and i and i do i must say i'm kind of disappointed in panda because uh they were pushing against the lockdown and i think i mean we were kind of of the first to seriously push against the lockdown in public after you know three weeks after when they started extending it and they weren't using uh uh transparent measures for Evaluating when it should be. Well, their models and stuff. Yeah, they're they're also the legislating, the sort of brushing aside Parliament. Good luck to the DA on their challenge there. I think that's seriously important. Um, but uh, Panda, I think, changed the tone. I think it really did for a lot of people by coming out with its actuarial models, showing as they purport that twenty nine times more life years will be lost as a result of the lockdown than the most that you could possibly expect from COVID-19. Now, I said to our listeners and uh, on, on the Daily Friend podcast that that they had said to me, you know, we, we, we acknowledge now that that 29 times more is kind of wrong because if there hadn't been a lockdown, you wouldn't have business as usual. There still would have been an economic yeah. drop and that economic drop would have immiserated people. So you would have had uh, the the kind of life years lost that they were thinking about as a result of economic Yeah, they, they were down. comparing two completely hypothetical scenarios against each other, right? The one of, uh, neither of which involves human agency, as we mentioned before. Yeah. But so, but so they said, okay, well, we're doing this research on Sweden, PMIs to kind of come to grips with. Uh, what we think the real economic cost is. And in our modeling, we are going to take seriously the thought that even without a lockdown, it's not going to be back to business as usual to account for a viral spread. But they've kind of done neither. Uh, and I, I listened to a podcast with one of them. It wasn't Nick Hudson who'd spoken to us. So to be fair on him, I think he's uh, maybe still on the right track. But it was with another one I can't remember. And he was he was just sort of back to this agentless thing. He was like, 
you know, wherever COVID gets, sort of once it gets 100 cases, 60 days later, it hits its peak and then it flattens. Uh, and it doesn't matter what you do. And you know what? If he's right, we'll see for sure in a week's time because we'll see the American numbers and whether these protests have changed. And if yeah. I'm wrong, then I will uh, make that the headline. I was wrong. And I'll submit that piece to the Daily Friend and I hope you guys will read it. Yeah, well, I, I hope I hope I hope you are wrong. Not not because I want to see your credibility smash, but just because. Oh, Nick, tell the you truth. Know, this, this you just want to see my name go up in flames. Because, quite frankly, I think that this uh, this this pandemic and this kind of tied back to our earlier topic in the, in the US, um, it's really showing that when you put a bunch of stress on society, people start acting a bit weird. And uh, the sooner we get through this, the better for all of us, I think. Mm. Um, mm. We, we, we are at an hour now. Uh, so if we actually, if we stop here, if we don't say anything else vaguely interesting that we want to talk yeah. about, then we can actually yeah. finish. Sort of on time. <laughs> Do you have anything else at risk of we derailing have... everything? Now, put, dude, that list, we had one other good thing that we had to just mention. Oh, I wanted to mention, um, in terms of the South African context, uh, there is something, there really is just something, I suppose I, we didn't get to this because it's a hard thing to talk about without going off the rails uh, <laughs> in terms of emotion. But there is something uh, frustrating, galling, nauseating, and tragic and extremely predictable about the ways in which uh, the killing of George Floyd has been exploited by our own politicians oh, to yeah. somehow scapegoat uh, the police brutality that we had under the lockdown and that we've had over the years before uh, and, and kind of blame it on whiteness. Uh, so I just wanted to read you a few quotes uh, about <laughs> that might that might give you some reasons to rethink uh, whiteness as somehow being responsible for for the killing of Collins Causa. Yes, yes. Uh, this is from from Gareth Ronaldson, yeah. Yeah. So Gareth collected these quotes, and he. I'm, so I'm not going to read him. I'm just going to read the quotes. Uh, Gareth Ronaldson. He doesn't always get it right, I'm afraid, but when he gets it right, he does really hit the nail on uh, the Yeah, he can really knock it out of the park. <laughs> and one of the things he's really good at doing, I think it's very serious work, is he keeps kind of archives of different people's, of quotes under different themes. Yeah. And so then when something like this happens, he can go back and, and, and give you a sense over time. So back in September 2017, uh, Fikil, uh, uh, Police Minister uh, Fikile Mbalula, uh, said to the saps, I quote, let the criminals piss and drink their own urine. Do you hear me? Let the criminals piss and drink their own urine. The repetition and the, and the do you hear me bit was, was him. So, end quote. Uh, Balula also said, we must squeeze them. When they've got balls, we must crush them. If a man says he has balls, we must crush those balls. We must find the balls where they are and crush them. These people are undermining the sovereignty of our country. And even if you do not have a warrant of arrest, slap them. Break the law progressively and let me worry about court cases. So Ooh. there's 
<laughs> uh, yeah. And I remember that at the time, but it's the kind of thing that I also then just forgot. So glad yeah. to remember it again. Uh, then Deputy Minister of Police Susan Shabangu in 2008, you must kill the bastards if they threaten you or the community. You must not worry about the regulations. That is my responsibility. Your responsibility is to serve and protect. I want to assure you, the police station commissioners and policemen and women from these areas, that they have permission to kill these criminals. I won't tolerate any pathetic excuses for you not being able to deal with crime. You have been given guns. Now use them. I want no warning shots. You have one shot, and it must be a kill shot. Yeah, so... <laughs> In 1996, this... Jacob Zuma... No, I'm still going here, Nick. Jacob oh, no. Zuma told ANC supporters the party was more important than the Constitution. We all remember that. Yeah. Uh, Becky... Uh, uh, Zuma uh, said that judges in 2002 should convict, quote, even if there are facts that are short. In 2008, <laughs> he said, maybe we should think about scrapping bail for specific crimes. Uh, the ANC Youth League, Women's League has uh, oftentimes called for chemical concentration. Yeah, chemical castration. Uh, Zuma said uh, about the political assassinations in KZN, people out there look at this as a crisis in the ANC. It is not a crisis. It is democracy at play. <laughs> we have, yeah. So, yeah, these so are... okay, now, now I'm going to stop. I think, I think, I think these, these might oh, wait, just hold, have happened. Hold, a, a, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. These are not. These are. These are, of course, completely disparate, isolated things. After the Maracana uh, massacre, Ria Figueira told police, "The safety of the public is not negotiable. Don't be sorry about what happened." Yes, I wonder if Zero these have anything to do with uh, with with police brutality. There's, you know, I just feel like there might be a slight link between what our top political leaders who lead the police force say. And how the police behave in public. <laughs> Nick, you are connecting some dots there, my friend. I know and, it's it's and it's I, astonishing I'm a to me <laughs> that you that you have the mental capacity. Uh, <laughs> but I'm seeing. I think I'm seeing your point. I think your point is that maybe there's when, something other than white supremacy at work here. Jesus. I mean, it's quite hard to hold on to that idea. Even as you put it that way, I'm starting to slip. So you're saying that white supremacy made Fikile Balula say, let the criminals drink their piss and uh, uh, drink their own urine. That's what you're saying. White supremacy made uh, Zuma call assassination democracy at play. White supremacy made uh, 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 Susan Shabangu say, you must kill the bastards if they threaten the community. I want no warning shots. You have one shot and it must be a kill shot. That you, that's white supremacy. Yeah, yeah. That um, I, I think that I think that's sense. about the, that 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 makes complete sense. Those things are exactly the same thing. <laughs> All right. Now that I think we've thoroughly destroyed the good mood and depressed everyone listening I'm to sorry, this podcast <laughs> by reminding them all nice that we are that we are governed by morons, <clears throat> violent morons who will say stupid things and encourage 
illiberal, nasty cruelty from our security services. Um, if you liked what you and heard, and then yeah. cover it up, and oh then yeah, and then cover it, cover up, it which, up, which they have done multiple times, uh, uh, as, as seen. Amos's case was closed. Petrus Michels' case was closed. Collins Causa's case was closed by the minister, right? By yeah. the by, at the highest level, they were like, "We are not investigating into this." Well, the if, if you look on the bright side, back with comorbidities in every case, so we're not going to flip and look into it. If, like, if you look on the bright side here, um, it shows that they kept their promises. <laughs> Wow, dude, that is very dark. That is dark. That is good. That is a good joke. But it yeah, is very, very. Whoo! That is. Mm, that's hitting me in that. In that. That's sort of where the. That's where I keep all my favorite jokes about the gulag. Usually. Yeah. yeah. Deep Russian humor. Whoo, Nick. Yeah. Well, okay. Right, so, so, have a great weekend, buddy. Yes, have a wonderful <laughs> weekend. Don't think about any of what we just said because it's too horrifying. Um, and we'll catch you. On the next fantastic episode, uh, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly fantastic episode <laughs> of Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree. Keep the flag of freedom flying, everyone. And keep asking questions. Grr, grr.